December 1960, the evil penny whistle. Every month the local bishop would visit the industrial school and all the lads would be lined up like a submissive army of skeletons while the most powerful man in the diocese inspected each child one by one. We were ordered to be dressed in the pyjamas provided by the school to make sure our hair was neatly combed and to stand straight and to attention. Father Brehany promised that any deviation from these orders would result in a severe punishment, the like of which we had never experienced before, though in truth many of us experienced it on a daily basis. His cohort, Sister Philomena, decided to punish some of the known troublemakers in advance. And McCormack found himself minus a bunch of hair, whilst my kidneys ached from the low punches to the back. The young lad next to me went by the name of Jameen Sullivan, and his favourite thing in the world was to play a tune on the penny whistle. He arrived at the school with a battered old penny whistle and protected it like a cat would her newborn kittens. Brehany will punish you if he sees you with that penny whistle, Jimine. I want to play a tune for the bishop, said Jimine. Brehany said the only thing the bishop might want to hear is a prayer. We'll be killed for anything else. I'm going to play a beautiful Irish air. The bishop will like it so much. He'll let me out to stay with my aunt down in Cork. I never met the bishop. Maybe he was the type of man who liked a nice tune. Maybe this was a brilliant plan by Jameen. I hope so. I'd often heard Jameen play a tune late at night, and the fairies themselves, if they tried, could not have produced more beautiful music, oftentimes slow and plaintive, other times merry and playful, while once or twice it was rousing enough to send a whole Celtic army off to fight in the great wars on the continent of Europe. To look at Jameen, you'd wonder how there was enough air in those lungs to play a single note, never mind tune after tune. He was truly a wretched-looking child, with only a little bit of flesh left hanging from his bones. Any beating from Brehany and his evil cohorts was likely to plunder the last bit of life from his feeble body, and I desperately did not want for the poor child to have to suffer the like of that. Besides, we all needed his music. It was the only bit of salvation in this religious slaughterhouse. As we lined up waiting for the holiest man in the land to grace us with his presence, the word Cunus echoed around the old building. It was the Irish word for quiet. The bishop had indeed arrived. He entered a hallway like the Lord himself, followed by a whole procession of devoted nuns and priests. I was surprised by the pomp and splendour of the occasion and the burst of purple lit up the dreary old industrial school like never before. One of the nuns, only ever to be seen with an angry and hateful face as she bitterly stirred the blood and oatmeal brew in the kitchen, was now beaming from ear to ear. Every young lad stood to attention, except one poor unfortunate who was a little bit crouched by nature, his shoulders contorted in every which direction. Father Brehany quickly pounced on him like a stray hungry cat would an injured robin redbreast and gave him a good clatter across the head. That'll straighten ya. Bishop Nady was a big, strong man with hands like two shovels and his left one was clutching a big old book, a Bible surely, 
though it looked more like something found in a bog preserved for maybe a thousand years or more. He had a boxer's nose, and even if acquired from drinking tumblers of wine before a roaring fire in his palace, he may equally have gone the distance many times and punched men to a pulp. He had a big dull thinning crop of silver hair that often caught and glistened in the sun, giving a religious quality to his otherwise tough exterior. He also had two dark piercing eyes, and though a strict man of God and the rule of religious law, it was said by some that looking into those eyes was like peering into the black, blazing gates of hell itself. He stared corporal-like at every last one of us, before opening his mouth. When he did so, it was to turn to Father Brehany. Are they any good at bringing home the turf, Father Brehany? I've seen better, my lord. That's not good. How are they for milking the cows? A tomcat would do a better job. This response drew tremendous laughter from the religious orders. It did not stop until the bishop raised his hand. It was a powerful gesture, as if St. Patrick himself had raised his staff to the pagan druids and ordered submission. There was immediate silence, an eerie silence. It was a silence around these parts that usually preceded a terrible beating for some poor soul. The bishop looked around. Someone would surely have to suffer. Someone would surely have to be punished because a fat tomcat would do a better job at milking the cows. Not until this ceremonial sacrifice was complete, not until someone had the lards beaten out of them, could the natural order of the universe be restored again. That, after all, was how things worked around these parts. This was not a good time to have any distinguishing characteristics that made you stand out, such as curly red hair, a full face of freckles, or a gammy leg. It was Jameen, he noticed, holding his penny whistle. The bishop stared like an angry gorgon, and the hair stood on the back of my head. Much as I suspected, Jameen had brought a great deal of trouble down upon himself. What have you got there? said the bishop, making a big fist out of his godlike right hand while holding the big old book like a footballer in the other. A penny whistle, Jameen eventually stammered. A penny whistle, by God! Are you going to play a tune for us then? For someone who had carefully planned beforehand to play a tune for the bishop, a tune that could just maybe win him his freedom, Jameen was very slow on the uptake, and there followed another unbearable long silence. I feared Jameen would get the life beaten out of him before he even got to play that first solitary note. But slowly, he brought the whistle to his mouth, and slowly, a beautiful air started to fill the great cold hallways. We all gasped for breath, in fear of what would happen next. But St. Peter and all the angels in heaven might as well have been playing the penny whistle right there and then, for Bishop Nathy smiled profusely. I started to realize how wrong I must have been. Nathy liked a bit of our music. Music has a power. It can win people over, even thine enemies. Jameen knew that and now had the bishop, priests and nuns in his scrawny paw. There was talent there, 
talent beyond bringing home the turf from the bogs and milking the cows. He'd show them the full versatility of his penny whistle playing, for not only could he play slow, haunting airs, he could step it up and play a lively tune too. There followed a jig and a reel. What was mighty stuff? The transformation was startling. Jameen's fingers moved at a rapid speed on the note holes of his battered old tin whistle as bursts of oxygen from his lungs powered his frenzied music. Suddenly all the lads who stood statue-like up until now were clapping and yelping, just like that. And just like that the bishop started into a fit of step-dancing himself. He hopped around the room in a thunderous fashion, his leather shoes pounding the floor. I'd never seen anyone jump so high and at times it seemed his head would crash against the high ceilings up above. If he went any higher, he'd ascend into heaven. With his black cassock, the sultan swishing in the air amid all the revelry, he looked more like a demon than a bishop. He also looked to have a complete absence of control, and as Jimmy's music grew faster and faster, so did the breathless pace of the bishop's dancing. It was then that I began to realize that something was way out of order here, that Jameen's penny whistle was controlling the bishop, and that if he didn't stop soon, the bishop would dance himself to death. Father Brahmi realized this too, and a vicious look of anger overtook his demeanor. He made a lunge towards Jameen, and diving like a serpent through the air, caught him by the throat. The action so startled Jameen that the penny whistle flew out of his mouth and hopped a few times off the floor. Oh, me back is broke. Those who had a better view afterwards said that the whistle and bishop landed on the floor at the exact same time. The whistle with a tinny rattle. The bishop with a great big thud. Oh, his canonized arse will be fair sore after that landing, I thought. What followed afterwards can only be described as savagery of the highest order as the poor frail Jameen was kicked around the floor by Father Brehany. The awfulness did not stop until the bishop had dusted himself off and rising from the ground with his book and his silver tufts of hair shooting in every direction, walked towards Jameen and opened it up to a certain page. I wondered what part of the Bible, if indeed it was a Bible at all, would be read now, and I feared a terrible passage of vengeance from the Old Testament. Father Brehany roared at the rest of us to disappear, and truth be told, we were never happier to make ourselves so scarce. The same could not be said for Jameen, who was detained behind, and I was certain there and then that, alas, we'd never hear his beautiful music again, as the holy triumvirate of the bishop, Brehany and Sister Philomena, circled around him with venomous intent. That much was true. We never did see Jimmyn again. We never really knew what happened to him. The nuns told us that the bishop had confiscated his evil penny whistle and sent him away, not unfortunately to his aunt in Cork, but to another school, to one where the hard labour was even worse than our current hellhole, and to one which such musical fancies, the work of the devil, she said, were absolutely not tolerated. Others pointed ruefully to the nuns' orchard in the school grounds and said Jameen, like many starved and beaten orphans, was now buried in an unmarked grave by an apple tree. But one lad by the name of Burke told us another story, one that was surely the tallest tale we'd ever heard. 
he bravely hid behind a door to watch Jameen's punishment and told us in a most serious tone that what he saw next would haunt him till the day he went to his grave. The bishop had read some strange incantation from his book and in Burke's words, Oh Jesus Christ, what did it do but turn poor Jameen into a hare? No more blood and oatmeal for you, brother, said Dixie Flynn. You have calm pure mad in the head. It's true, said Burke. And after they did it, Jameen escaped out the door. And they were so mad when he got away that the bishop stamped his foot on the ground, if not once, at least a hundred times. I refused to believe Jameen was dead and buried in the nun's orchard. And sometimes when we'd be out working in the fields, I was certain the sound of his penny whistle could be heard in the distance. And it always made me so happy, for the beautiful music of his would light up the dullest of days. I even once shouted, Jimmyn! A hare raced across the fields, and on seeing it, Father Brehan, he yelled, Bad cess to ye, you devil of a hare! And started to chase it with stones. But the hare skipped away, delightful and free, and much to Brehenny's frustration could not be felled. Maybe Jimine was right all along. Only through his music could his soul be free. <laughs>